Ephesians chapter 1. Looking at verse number three. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Father, we thank you for this this wonderful praise written by the Apostle Paul. Father, there is so much here to, to comprehend and to dwell upon. I ask that you would help us. I am not sufficient to to bring out the the glorious truth in this text, but your spirit is able to help us grasp and understand it and marvel at it. Father, if there's anyone in here who does not know you, we ask that you would draw them to you this day. That they would see the beauty and glory of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This was a very difficult text to prepare. Every now and then as you're preparing a text, you, you think you have it, and then you, you, you try to, to run with it, and then you say, I, I don't quite have it yet. And after doing this all week, I understood why Martin Lloyd-Jones preached three sermons on this one verse. There, there is so much here for us to comprehend and to dwell upon, to meditate upon. In our first sermon in Ephesians, we we marveled at the sovereign grace of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. And in the second sermon, we, we marveled at the sovereign grace of God in building his church in Ephesus. And then in the third sermon, we, we, we marveled at the, the grace and the peace that we have received through Christ. And we said that these words, grace and peace, are, are not just formal words, a, a formal response, a, an automatic greeting, but that there is significance there. And we said that once we understand our depravity and our sin, we begin to comprehend something of the magnificence of grace and peace. And as we look at these things, what should our response be? As we have feasted upon the grace of God and the mercy of God, what should our response be? Paul is going to tell us this morning that the the proper response to these things is praise to God. 
Lloyd-Jones said, There is no more true test of our Christian profession than to discover how prominent this note of praise and thanksgiving is in our life. Is it to be found welling up out of our hearts and experience? Is it constantly breaking forth in us and manifest in our lives? And he talked about how you, you often find Christians who they kind of glibly say things like, praise the Lord to, to just give this appearance of being a joyful Christian. But the question is, is that what really radiates from our hearts? Are we consumed with praise to God? Well, let us look to our text today at one who was absolutely filled with praise to God. And, and by the way, he is filled with praise to God from prison. So let us look first at Paul's praise. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, blessed be God. Usually when we, when we hear of this word blessed, we, we think of God blessing other people, not other people blessing God. But in this context, the, the word blessed actually means praiseworthy. We get the English word from the English word eulogy from this Greek word. What is a eulogy? A eulogy is given at a funeral. It is a, a, a writing or a speech praising the, the, the good things that a person has done. So, so Paul is essentially praising the good things that God has done. He's saying, praise be to God. Paul is, is overwhelmed with, with the goodness of God. And in verses 3 through 14... He essentially has one long praise. In fact, in the Greek, verses 3 through 14 is simply one long sentence. One long praise to God. And Paul tells us something about this God he is praising. He says he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That seems like an odd thing to say. He is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, but, but Christ himself says this in the Gospel of John. He says, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. This is odd. Jesus, who is God, is calling God his God. What's happening here? Paul is pointing out the humanity of Jesus. John Gill points out that God the Father is the God of Christ as man who prepared, formed, anointed, supported, and glorified his human nature and in which nature he prayed to him as his God, believed in him, loved, and obeyed him as such. So he is pointing out Christ's humanity. There, there's something unique about him. But then he says that God is the father of Jesus. And this does not refer to adoption as we are able to call God father. This is referring to the fact that he, Christ, is the second member of the Trinity. He's not the father. He is the son. In this sense, God is also his father. So now Paul is bringing out the divinity of Christ. What we believe about Christ matters. 
Notice that, that, that he's saying that, that Christ kept his divinity. He did not lay aside his divinity when he took on flesh. That he is both fully God and fully man. Now, is Paul just being extra here? Why is he being so theological, we might say? Why not just say, blessed be God, and, and leave it at that? Why bring out the fact that, the, that, that he is the father of Christ, who is both fully God and, and fully mad, man? I think there's an important principle here. True praise is the result of a true understanding of God. Dear friends, theology matters, and it matters greatly. We can only praise God to the extent that we know him and what he has done for us. And the more we know him, the, 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 the greater the depths of our understanding, the greater the heights of our praise that we offer to him. And when we understand God more, and the more we study theology, the more our hearts should be drawn to, to praise God in sincerity. The theology is not some mere dull intellectual science. Theology should move our, our hearts and our tongues to, to praise the God we are studying. If theology leads us to, to pride, there, there's a heart issue there. Well, I don't want to study theology because it will just make me proud. No. Theology should humble you. And it should cause us to, to praise the God that we are beginning to understand something of. This section of, of Ephesians is absolutely rich in doctrine. I mean rich. And it is written as what? A praise to God. These verses cover deep doctrines such as election and predestination and sanctification, adoption, redemption, forgiveness of sins, eternal security. And yet Paul is not writing a theological lecture. He's simply writing a praise to God. This is an amazing thing to think of. Calvin notes that the lofty terms in which he extols the grace of God toward the Ephesians are intended to rouse their hearts to gratitude, to set them all on flame, to fill them even to the overflowing with this thought. When Paul meditates on the deepest theological truths he can meditate on, it leads him to praise, and he is teaching us to do the same thing. What is the reason for Paul's praise here? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Paul is praising God because God has blessed us. And in this context, blessed means divine favor. We have been shown divine favor, meaning that God has been good to us and kind to us. Because of divine favor, we have received grace and mercy. 
Because of divine favor, we saw that, that Paul was snatched out of his sinful lifestyle and sovereignly regenerated. Because of divine favor, God built up a church in Ephesus. And because of divine favor, we as his people have experienced both grace and peace. This is the divine favor of God. Now let us do a heart check here. What is our response to such doctrines? Are we like the Apostle Paul? That when we study theology... It leads us to praise. When when we study theology, we we should not say, now I know more than other people. I'm, I'm smarter than other people. So it leads me to pride. Paul is studying Things are, are, are meditating rather on things such as election and predestination. In verse 4 he says, he chose us before the foundation of the world. And this leads Paul to praise God. He doesn't say I was more worthy than other people. This is why God chose me, so, so I'm proud. No, he knows his unworthiness. And so it leads him to praise. But, but what about those who reject these doctrines. You are rejecting the very reasons that Paul is given to praise God. Many people say if, if election and predestination were true, I could never serve a God like that. People say that if I found out that was true, I would no longer be a Christian. And Paul says he chose us before the foundation of the world. There's no greater reason to bless him, to to praise him than this. Consider this. We think of the fact that Christ has died for our sins and we say what a, a wonderful truth. But, 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 you know, what if, what if it was because I, I chose to follow him? That's still a wonderful truth, right? Because he saved me. But Paul is saying, no, listen. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. In other words, there was nothing that we could do. Before the world was even created, he chose us to be his people. This, dear friends, election, predestination should move us to praise God in a way that we could not do had we not understood these things. We are not saved because we are good people. We are not saved because we made a good choice. Paul says we are saved, we are blessed because what? God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. This is what theology should do for us. It should lead us to praise. And who are these blessings for? Who is Paul referring to when he says he has blessed us? He's referring to Christians. Paul already told us in verse 1 that he is writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. Remember, a saint is is one who is morally pure, one who is holy. We said before that that it carries this idea of separation. 
Charles Hodge said that saints are those who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus and, and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost and thus separated from the world and consecrated to God. So Paul tells us that only though the only ones who are blessed in this way are those who are separated from the world, consecrated to God, and faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, those who are not Christians do not receive these blessings. Paul is not a universalist. Paul does not believe that that in the long run, everyone will essentially be saved. He says only those made holy by God and faithful in Christ are blessed with these spiritual blessings that that include the, the forgiveness of sins, as we'll find out later on. But the question is, how are we blessed? Paul says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It is in Christ that we are blessed by God. In other words, outside of Christ, there is no blessing from God. There is only judgment. We are born sinful lawbreakers, enemies of God. And as such, we we do not deserve blessing, but, but the curse of the law, death, and the wrath of God. We, we stand before God guilty, and because of our guilt, there is no blessing. The only thing reserved for us is a curse, the curse of the law. But dear friends, in comes Christ. And what does Paul tell the Galatians? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. Do we understand that? I love how Paul Washer puts it. Every time we say that we are blessed, we need to remember that it's only because Christ was cursed. We deserved to be cursed. But Christ took our curse. This great verse on imputation, for he made him who who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Christ took our sins upon him and the curse of being a lawbreaker. He was cursed by the Father. And he imputes to us his righteousness so that instead of being cursed, we can be blessed. Dear friends, if you are outside of Christ, understand that that nothing is there for you but a curse. If you are outside of Christ, you are under the curse of the law. And the only way for you to, to receive a blessing from God is through Christ. The only way to see, receive the blessing of salvation is through Christ. The only way that you can stand before God in judgment and not receive the curse of the law is that you have the righteousness of Christ upon you. Dear friends, we must repent and believe. And we will be saved. God's enemies do not receive blessing or favor from him but Paul tells us in Romans that while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son 
Though you're under or cursed outside of Christ, you can experience the blessing of Christ because of the Son. Jesus is the only way to salvation. What does the Apostle Peter say? There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul says we are blessed in Christ. We have divine favor because of Christ. And notice he also says with every spiritual blessing. What does this word spiritual mean? MacArthur notes that the Greek word used here for spiritual is always used in relation to the work of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, we have been blessed not with immaterial versus material things, but but blessed by the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit. So, So God blesses us in Christ through the Holy Spirit. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Everything which comes from the Holy Spirit is ours. Peter tells us his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to to life and godliness. And, And James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. There is nothing we need for our salvation or sanctification that has not been given to us by God in Christ through the Spirit. Have you noticed how Paul is bringing all three persons of the Trinity into this? This this is an amazing thing. Oftentimes, just in like the, 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 the default Christian circles, People often think of God the Father as a mean and angry God, and and Jesus kind of saves us from God the Father. We don't really comprehend, or we we think, well, the Trinity is not not necessary, right? But look at what Paul is doing here. Bringing every person of the Trinity into our salvation. God the Father blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Lloyd-Jones says these blessings are mediated to us from God through Christ via the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit they become ours. What a magnificent display of the work of the Trinity in our salvation. These blessings that he's going to talk about of election and, and predestination and sanctification and adoption and redemption, the forgiveness of sins and glorification, all of these things, eternal security, they come from the Father, made possible through the Son, mediated through the Spirit. In fact, the work of the Trinity and our salvation is so clear in this praise of Paul that we can separate verses 3 through 14 based upon who's doing the work. Verses 3 through 6 talk about the work of the Father in salvation. And 7 through 10 talk about the work of the Son in salvation. And 11 through 14 talk about the work of the Spirit in salvation. These are the things Paul is meditating upon as he praises God. Do we realize this? 
that each person of the glorious Trinity has played a role in our salvation. Think about this. Here is God. Here is the God. There's three persons. And all three persons working together to accomplish salvation for, for mere specks of dust. And not only working salvation for us, but, but before the foundation of the world, choosing us, determining to do this on our behalf. This is what theologians call the pactum salutis, or the eternal covenant of redemption. The, the fact that before the foundation of the world, there was a council that the God had met, in a sense. They had a council, and they talked about the salvation of man and how it would happen. And, and the God had chose to, to save us and to sanctify us and to glorify us. This changes the way we look at things. It's not as though God is just some whimsical God who said, these people fell into ruin. What are we going to do? When Adam fell in the garden, was God scratching his head? No. He gave him the first gospel promise. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. The gospel was already planned. It was already there. He knew what would happen. He knew how man would be redeemed. This is significant to dwell upon. Sproul says, It is a matter of theological urgency that Christians not think of God as a ruler who ad-libs his dominion of the universe. God does not make it up as he goes along, nor must he be viewed as a bumbling administrator who is so inept in his planning that his blueprints for redemption must be endlessly subject to revision according to the actions of men. The God of Scripture, he says, has no plan B or plan C. Plan A is from everlasting to everlasting. Again, does this matter? Is this significant in the way that we view God? Lloyd-Jones says, if we want to say, blessed be God from the heart, we must know something about how God has planned this great salvation. Again, God is not whimsical. I mean, think of this. The, the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who, who spoke things into existence. The, the God who, who had this counsel and said, let us make man in our image. Lloyd-Jones points out that not only did they say, let us make man in our image, but, but let us save mankind as well. What a glorious truth. I mean, we, we are overwhelmed when someone is thinking of us, right? Someone texts you, I'm thinking about you. And it touches our heart. The very God of the universe, before the foundation of the world, chose us. And not only chose us, 
but each member of the Trinity divided up the work of what they would do to bring about our salvation, and not only our salvation, but our eternal security. They would make sure that not only would we receive salvation, but that we would be escorted all the way to glorification. What, what, what amazing forethought and planning for you and I, when, when we read this, we, we should just know that we are not worthy of this. But again, this is where theology matters, because if Christ only died to make salvation possible, we say, oh, that's, not, that's not that big of a deal. But if Christ, before the foundation of the world, chose to come here, on the Father's choosing and say, listen, you, you people sitting here before the foundation of the world, I'm going to choose this person even though humans don't exist yet. I'm going to choose this person and I'm going to send the Son. And the Son said, I will go. I will take on human flesh. I will take upon myself their sins and be crushed by the Father and experience His wrath for their sake. And I will die and I will rise again to save them. And the Holy Spirit says, I will go and, and I will regenerate their cold, dead heart so that they can respond to the gospel in faith and repentance. And then I will help them throughout their spiritual journey to grow in sanctification and holiness. And I will be the seal of their redemption. Dear friends, we are not worthy of this. We are not worthy of this forethought and planning and sacrifice that has been done on our behalf. But this is what Paul is mesmerized about. This is what is leading Paul to praise God. What, what marvelous truth that should lead us to praise. And Paul adds one more detail. He says, in the heavenly places. We have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Commentators have a hard time understanding exactly what is meant by this. I think what Paul is emphasizing here is the, is the fact that, that the blessings he is referring to are not chiefly experienced in this life. Remember that Paul is writing this from prison, not knowing whether or not he's going to live or die. And he's meditating, he's praising God for the blessings that he has as one who is potentially on death row. Becoming a Christian, for many, means persecution and perhaps death. Can they still say with the apostle, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Absolutely. Why? Because although we see benefits and although we see fruit of our salvation here, we experience the, the fullness of it only when we die. And each and every one of us must die. And if we die as believers, we are blessed with an immeasurable blessing. We are blessed with, with eternity with Christ. And I think Paul also combats some more false theology here. Remember what he said in, in, in Corinthians. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, 
We, we are the most to be pitied, but, but there are so many people who say that, that Christ is simply about giving us a more fulfilled life on earth. One popular universalist right now says everybody will be saved eventually, but the reason Christ came and the reason why you want to be a Christian is so that you can live an abundant life here on earth. If you die in your sins, it doesn't matter. You'll be saved. But, but Christ gives us abundance here on earth. Paul says in the heavenly places. And again, this does not mean that the gospel has not transformed things in our culture and in our world. And so we're not just saying that, that, that he only has given us spiritual things that don't matter here. That's not what he's saying. But this blessing that we have been blessed with cannot be taken away. Death cannot prevent us from receiving. In fact, when we die, we receive the fullness of it. Dear friends, do we see how proper theology leads to praise? Do we grasp this? Do we see how understanding deep theological truths lead to praise? Do we understand why we need to be in the Word and why we need to be studying theology, why we need to be reading big, thick, theological, doctrinal books? Once again, the depth of our understanding determines the height of our praise. And some will say, I find theology boring. And difficult. But if that is you, my, my prayer is that you will persevere and that you will push yourself in this. And as you begin to comprehend these things, it will lead your heart to be warmed and filled with thanksgiving and gratitude and praise to God. And what about those in difficult situations? And we see the Apostle Paul and how he is overwhelmed with the goodness, the blessing of God, and it, and it leads him to, to praise God. But, but, but what about those who are struggling with this? Those who are legitimate Christians, who, who say to themselves, you know, I, my situation is bad. It's hard. It's difficult. And I have a hard time praising God right now. I'm just being honest. My heart is not overwhelmed with praise to God right now because of the darkness of my situation. Dear friends, if this is you, listen to these words from Spurgeon. If you do not feel you can bless him for the present moment, yet forget not to bless him for the past. And when you once begin to do that, you will soon find that your praise will overlap the past and cover the present if it does not even run into the future. Paul's situation was dark. Nobody here right now is in prison not knowing if you're going to die. None of us are in that situation. But Paul was when he wrote this. 
He's overwhelmed with the goodness of God while he is in prison. Why? Is he meditating upon his current situation and his current troubles? No. What is he meditating upon? Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. All of these things that God has done for us in past before eternity, in eternity rather, before the foundation of the world, dwelling upon that, Paul says, is sufficient for me to praise God right now. My situation does not matter. This is why we need to be in the Word. This is why we need to read systematic theologies. This is why we need to care about doctrine. It's not just head knowledge. It affects our lives. It was doctrine that led Paul to praise God in prison. Dear friends, if we cannot praise God in our situations, we need to grasp the truthfulness of these things that Paul is bringing out. And as we do this and get our minds off of ourselves and on this glorious God, we will say with the Apostle Paul, Praise God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let us pray. Dear Father, words are not even sufficient. to express what you have done for us. The love and concern and planning and forethought that you have put into our salvation, that all three members, all three persons of the Trinity have put into our salvation is overwhelming. Father, knowing that we would sin against you, knowing that we would rebel. Before the foundation of the world, you chose to send your Son to redeem us. Father, our hearts are often cold and dull. Revive our hearts and help us to to just be overwhelmed by this truthfulness. To be overwhelmed by it. That this would cause us to be people like the Apostle Paul, who no matter what our situation is, we are consumed with praising you. Our hearts overflow with praise. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace for all that has been done to accomplish and apply our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.